Now, integrate that into the Word. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 6. As I'm practicing preaching more and more, I would like my voice to develop more like our friend Pizza Uba. Very projecting. Uh, growing up, I, uh, I had a very hard time, or people had a very hard time hearing me, if you can mention it. Um, I mumbled quite greatly and didn't pronounce very clearly. It was largely part to just upper respiratory issues. But it was amazing how a period of time that I just got used to speaking that way. Because, I mean, take your fingers and put them in your ear. You can hear yourself loud, right? Really loud. But other people probably can't understand you. You can't hear a thing. It's all the way around. You speaking to yourself. So, kind of the same way. If I begin to mumble, just kind of do what Adam just did. Put your fingers in your ear. It's a clear indication you cannot hear me. I need to speak up. So. All right, Ephesians 6. A while back I preached, this is when we were in the other church, on the armor of God because I uh, felt like in my spirit is a timely word and we were about to enter into spiritual warfare. Well, unbeknowing, we did for the next three months and sicknesses and job losses abounded. So I kind of steered away from that one particular aspect of Ephesians 6. I'm leaning more towards just the self-application of the armor of God. So... <laughs> You know, the, the big not to do is to pray for patience. You will get the experience in it. Okay. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Da, 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 da. Nope, that's not where I need to be. And my excuse is not a new Bible. Here we go. <laughs> verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Mm -hmm. Schemes. One o'clock in the morning, turn on TV, you'll find plenty of those schemes. Mm -hmm. uh, in the version of Slap Chop, ShamWow, and a variety of other things as well. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If you don't have that highlighted or circled or pinned or inked, please, please, please put that down. This, is, to me, me personally, has been the one scripture that has kept me from becoming exceedingly angry at human beings and realizing they were just reacting to a spiritual entity. Now, sometimes it actually is the, the human being's fault when it comes to some day-to-day -day things. But my struggle, my the bigger scheme, my struggle is not with so-and-so. That's not with flesh and blood. Because if I'm able to step back, put a smile on my face, use the word, and through prayer, change that person, change the situation, then it's not really them. It's There's an entirely different realm that's going on that can affect them and consequently can affect me as well. So, that's one, one, one awesome scripture to use whenever you begin to feel angry at another person, frustrated about this circumstance. Blah, 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 right now, breath. Say that one out loud. My wrestle is not 
I don't do not wrestle with flesh and blood. For those of you who aren't who are uh, employed or have been employed at one point, that one will apply to your boss or sometimes a stabbing coworker every single day. Put it on the car, put it in your pocket. Every time they talk, just hold it up and read it. I'm joking. Do that when they leave. Yeah. <laughs> but against the rulers <clears throat> and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, let's hit the pause button again. I do realize what I just said, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with all these other things I just listed. I'm not so on the spiritual antenna side that I'm, you know, digging up a demon behind every bush looking for it. Your call and your purpose in walking and being strong and putting on the full armor of God is to advance God's will. Now, God's will for you in and of that one instance at work, at school, uh, going to the grocery market, is to be a source of life everywhere you go. The Where you run into these struggles is when, when you're pursuing God's will, it is in your way. When something is frustrating, kind of, you guys can talk to me. Give me some examples of something that is frustrating to do. I'll start it off running through mud. That's frustrating. Driving in Houston. Driving in Houston. Wow. Especially on I-10 at Highway 6. Um, what are two other examples? No names, please. This example. Uh, let's say mowing the grass while it's raining and very hot. You know, blah blah blah. This goes on. You guys on a daily experience, daily occurrence, experience things that are frustrating. To be frustrated, to be hindered. It's the very thing that Adam received after they got kicked out of the, the garden. Not not this Adam. Adam and Eve. When they began to till the ground, there was pestilence. Something to counter uh, react or be counterproductive towards their direct efforts. So don't be surprised that every time you go to do God's will, which means when you wake up, until you probably you go down to sleep, you're doing God's will, that you will find something that is counterproductive to accomplishing a certain task. Mm. Now because of that, let's keep reading, you will need these items to overcome. So we've already established your frustration, <laughs> your struggle is not with flesh and blood. It's with the things that we listed after that. So, starting in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Or the Hebrew word is? Shalom. Shalom. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, a.k.a. trust, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you guys ever been in those tense situations? where one thing after another after another begins to just hit you. Uh, we've had a few of them experience this week. You know, bless his heart, Jeremy, his dog got bit by a rattlesnake, and then this next thing, then this next thing began to happen. The way I can usually discern 
between just a natural occurrence, meaning that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, and when it is a true spiritual attack, is usually the magnitude at which they come and the quantity. If it were just any one of those things, that might just be a bad day. If I speed down Eldridge Road, I'm going to get a ticket, right? But just so happened that I'm driving, another car blazes by me that's the same color, the cop clocks us, he thinks I am that other guy, I get the ticket, and then after he gives me the ticket, I get rear-ended, and after I get my, tow, my car towed, my water was turned off, and just, that's the difference I'm trying to point out. So I want you guys to be able to have the opportunity when, whenever you're going through life and you begin to experience one bad thing and then you see it multiply or avalanche on you, step back, see the bigger picture and say, okay, I'm not just wrestling with flesh and blood here. This is not just a normal occurrence of whatever, a bad thing happening on a, a, a good day. But you begin to realize that something is trying to steal from me. And it begins, honestly, it doesn't begin, doesn't begin by just stealing an actual possession or finances or anything else. It's the thing between your ears and below your nose and above your chin. It's called a smile. It steals your joy. If the devil can take my joy or, okay, that, that's one instance because it kind of blames him a little bit, right? Let me put it this way. If I give up my joy because of what's going on around me, and it shows in this quadrant of my face, I begin to lose the battle immediately. It's as if I'm taking every single bit of armor that we just listed and will list, and I'm throwing it to the ground, and but I'm still remaining in battle. The biggest one, the biggest means of protection of this, really the first round, is that shield. It's not the first one listed, but it's the shield of trust. You ever, you know, done 2020 on your life one time or a couple times and realized that circumstance or that whole round of events really wasn't as big as it played out to be? That the magnitude of getting a flat tire on the way back from work, I, honestly, you just got a little bit too frustrated about it and then you let it get to you and rob your face, rob you of your joy. And the minute that began to happen, the devil said, ha ha, I got you. I found a weak and opportune time. Let me pile it on because I'm going to rake you over the coals. But the minute that you begin to straighten out your face, your mouth, and let joy not just come through a smile, but come with words, it, it's like putting uh, semen on the devil's efforts. It begins to set him in a place where he can't move anymore. If he cannot move your trust, out of the way, he cannot get to you. No different than having that shield, you know, directly in front of you, extinguishing those darts that it's talking about. If those darts cannot make it past that trust, they're not gonna get to you. So, it begins with your face. 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Trust is a defense mechanism. It can be used as a weapon. Any of you guys who watch Weaponology or the History Channel, really cool shows by the way, 
show in the olden times with guys who had these uh, pieces of armament, use them primarily for defense, but then use them in offense. Imagine, we took everybody in here, you know, roughly 30 people, we lined you side by side, put sh uh, uh, shoulder to shoulder with the shields, and said, okay, now advance against these, these other folks, your opposition, who may have shields, may have not, but if you all operate as one and stay cohesively together, shield to shield, you can push over whatever is standing in the front of you. No, that's the natural realm. Now let, let's say in here is collectively as, as a church. When we get up here and worship and all collectively stand side by side, align our trust equally in our king and with joy, you don't know what you're doing in the heavenly realms. You don't know what you're, pu you're pushing back. At this very spot, doesn't make this thing holy, that ground holy, or anything else, but people have been healed of terminally ill diseases, That's right. cancer. That's, right. That's the beginning. What about the number of hearts that have been bound up? Yes. And what do I mean, you know, healed? Troubles, burdens, baggage of, of past history that have been left at this altar to stay there so that you guys could move on. And all, every single one of, bit of that is because when you come in here, you lock shoulder to shoulder, put your faith and align it in the king, and push against the enemy. Yes. Now, let's move on towards something a little more aggressive, more offensive. It's the word. The sword of the spirit. Somebody, you know, I'm going to interactive here again. Name me an occurrence in the New Testament, Newer Testament, where the word was used in an offensive manner to counteract the end. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. What did he respond with? Shut up. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. My pastor says. <laughs> Sorry, that doesn't work either. He used the word to come back. Now, uh, uh, when he did, did he quote uh, an entire book? No. no. He used one, maybe two verses. So when it comes to doing spiritual warfare, how much of the word do you really need to know sometimes? Wow. It's not that much, but let, let me say this. It has to be the right one. The reason we read the word mm -hmm. is so that, now we're coming back into math, the reason that we read the word, we hide it in our heart so we don't sin against it, is so that at the right place, at the right time, you have this well, you have this armament to choose from and say, yep, this is the exact tool that I can counteract with whatever the devil's trying to throw and it doesn't have to be a big nuclear bomb of scriptures. It has to be precise and on target. All right, turn to Hebrews 4. Now, if you are able to relate to the way that, that I felt when I first came into to Jesus, um, Everything was brand new. I grew up uh, not gaining a whole bunch of scripture knowledge because uh, we just basically went to church three times a year and did a ritual. And three times was actually pretty good. 
But we, the scripture that we did memorize really didn't make any sense or have much application. Um, so nevertheless, when I came into Jesus, I didn't know much, which was kind of a good thing because it was a fresh slate, but nothing was hidden inside of my heart just yet. So as I grew and began to interact with others that were uh, not just more knowledgeable in the Lord, but more experienced with the word, uh, you begin to feel a little bit intimidated and that you have to acquire this vast uh, ability to uh, discern in the word and pull this scripture and know this chapter and know this verse. Uh, my salvation began with take the throne of my life. You realize that every single one of you who are born again, and that, that's 100% this case, 100% of you, when you got born again, the very words or the, the initiation of Jesus being in control took you from death to life. Yes. It didn't take you going the four years of college to study who God was and how particularly salvation occurs in minute detail on the spiritual level. All it took was open arms and Jesus be in control of my life. Be Lord. And you were raptured. You were snatched from death into life. So beginning with that and as you progress you collectively add things to your faith your salvation, you add knowledge so that whenever that time comes to use it to encourage to correct, to combat you have this uh, an armament that you pull from so it's the right word at the right time we kind of do a U-turn here talking about a, a praise and worship team and instruments do you think it would be very beneficial to you guys if we all individually just did our own thing and limited our knowledge to just you know a couple of things that we knew. You guys are more benefited whenever we progressively learn our instrument, learn how to work cohesively together and operate as one. No different here when it comes to having knowledge of the word. Do you need to know more of the word? Absolutely. Why do you need to know more of the word? Ah, now comes the, the greater question. You need to know more of the word because it makes you wise unto salvation. You know how to use it at the right time. The word says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you're reading the word, or I'll step back, but basically if you're reading, reading the word for the sheer inspiration to gain knowledge and feel like you're more, ac or prove yourself to be more, more academic in the scripture than others. Your motive is wrong and you will find that you will not have the ability to discern what the word is actually trying to say and end up looking like a fool. Mm. Now, if you're taking notes or if you're mentally taking notes, um, I wrote down a big question and I, this is something I'm progressively learning. But have you guys ever had the question, how do I study the word. Now, generally, when somebody first gets born again, we say, "Hey, go read John, move over, uh, read uh, Acts, and just progressively go into the Newer Testament." Once you get familiar with that, daily go through uh, Psalms or go through Proverbs, and then, you know, by that time you'll gain enough footing, enough ground, and we'll do stuff like uh, foundations teachings on Monday nights or 
whatever else. But there comes a time in your walk when you just kind of go, where do I go from here? How do I get in the word and get the kind of stuff that Eric gets? Well, this is how. Step one, make sure your intent applies only to you. You will never, ever get anything substantial out of the word besides head knowledge if your intent in reading it is to apply to everybody else first and you last. The word is a mirror. When you go to wash in it, you're to be looking at yourself. For instance, everybody turn to Proverbs. Our young people are studying Proverbs now. Right? Proverbs are really cool because it's like these one-liners that just, I mean, man, they stick. They're good. You always draw from them. But more so, you can easily apply them to everybody else but yourself very easily. Uh, let's go to Proverbs 19. We'll come back to 12. Verse 15. One of you talkative young people in a blue shirt. Read verse 15 for me. Okay. That's an easy one. Whenever y'all read that, do you ever picture yourself? No. You're thinking about somebody else, right? Okay. Uh, how about this one? Verse 18. Discipline your son, for in there there is hope, but do not be a willing party to his death. I don't have sons, but I have daughters, but I could easily apply that. Uh, well, I must be talking about somebody else's kids, not mine. Discipline mine just fine. Uh, 19. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Two or three co-workers come immediately to mind. But when it's crunch time, when it's that time that you're being pressed, and for our, our parental case, when it's that time when your kids aren't acting right, these are the scriptures. This is the sword of the Spirit that needs to immediately pop up to your mind and you have to put to use. As a parent, when you have that inkling of, uh, what they did really wasn't that bad. No, you need to use the word to divide what was right and what was wrong. And this is a scripture, not the scripture, but a scripture to help you do it. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. There is hope in discipline. Moms, usually you probably struggle the most with, I'm being too hard on my kids. It feels like all I do is just, you know, I'm an ogre. I just fuss at them all the time. If you're consistent with a standard, and that standard being the word, not your emotions, but you're consistent with a standard that is true, that your child can turn back and look to, and see that A plus B equals C, so when you disobey me, it equals equals a spanking that there's hope in that discipline. Don't beat yourselves up because you feel like a noble. Guys, if you easily you lose your temper for some reason, when you're beginning to feel angry and get to that point of wanting, wanting to be frustrated, real, 
realize that verse 19 may apply to you. Are you that hot-tempered man that always needs to be rescued and will probably need to be rescued again? All right, let's go back to Proverbs 12. Now, this is a scripture that my girls love. They absolutely love it. And um, Cass thought one part of it wasn't actually written in the Bible, but it is. It says, whoever loves, verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> one night I was, I was tucking the girls in, and I looked at Natalie. I said, hey, what's Proverbs 12 one? She said, he who hates correction is stupid. And Cass said, Natalie, don't say that. Uh, that's not in the Bible. I said, oh, yes, it is. Let's turn to it. There it is. They're stupid. And the girls just got the biggest kick because they got to say something was stupid or somebody was stupid. But what was funny is that she knows that by heart. And in a right kind of manner, in an in a instruction type manner, whenever I'm telling them that they're doing something wrong, and they begin to look down and pout or acting as if they, they don't want to hear what I'm trying to tell them. All I got to do is look at them and tell them Proverbs 12, 1. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of look at me and I can see their wheels turning. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Now I'll, I'll say it for them. It's like, are you stupid? <laughs> no. I said, well, then don't hate what I'm trying to tell you. And it, it, they're fighting with it. And finally they give in and they say, okay, don't be stupid. But they, they get it. What the cool part is, is that later on, when they're fighting between themselves and one is trying to instruct the other, they'll start using it against each other. <laughs> Are you stupid? No, I'm not stupid. I'm trying to tell you something. Okay. All right, let's go back to Hebrews 12. I mean, Hebrews 4, 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Beginning with creation. So the very first chapter, first couple of verses in Genesis. It was on the first day of creation, right? What happened? Separated the light from darkness. What separated the light from darkness? God's word. God's word from the very beginning his word has been bringing division it has been separated shortly thereafter you have man created right man uh, Adam man then Eve was made from him by his own word he spoke later on you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Right. God's standards, God's laws. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word, it caused them to be separated or divided out of the Garden of Eden. Again, again, and again, and again through the word, you see how God's standards and how God's laws, it's not in a bad sense, but it's in the clarification of his character and what his desires are. Every time you bring God's word into a situation, it's going to separate. 
it's going to divide. Now, if I'm a surgeon and I need to do surgery on capillaries, it's one of the smallest uh, elements within the, uh, the blood system, I need a pretty sharp knife. I need to be able to distinguish between regular flesh, muscle, other elements that are in the body, ligaments, to get to one capillary. God's word is no different. There are some scriptures that if used correctly, with you, through your mouth, you can add or precisely use it in somebody else's life to get to that one small finite thing that could result in death for them if they don't correct. It has to be the right tool for the right time and the right job. If I tried to perform capillary uh, surgery with a butter knife or an axe, I probably wouldn't have a good result on the patient table, would I? No. Same thing, your words and how you use the word will determine sometimes the outcome of the people you're using it on. One beautiful example was a certain region of South Louisiana that uh, someone was living in and everything that was around him was based on a, a culture that was uh, worship idols, basically. It was based on a religious system that was no more close to the word than the man on the moon. And this, this guy had the opportunity with everybody they talked to, everybody they saw, to blast them with a machete when it came to the word. You're wrong in this area, that area, that area, that area. But what he began to learn, what, what he knew and find out how to use, is that instead of using a jackhammer, he had to use a surgeon's knife. Because sometimes when using the word, you can do a lot more damage than you can actually help. So let's read verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Raise your hand if you ever got into a situation in life that is not black and white, that's gray. <laughs> that no matter what decision that you make, there will be a fallout, there will be a consequence that you do not want. Right. Life is easy as long as things are black and white. It's a very easy choice. But where the word comes into play, where it becomes living and active, is when there's that gray matter. How do I properly discern what's right and what's wrong? Let's hit the rewind button and go all the way back to what we discussed earlier. God's word has been dividing since uh, early man. Man chose for the himself and herself to decide what was right and wrong. It was wrong in and of itself that they disobeyed God's command and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the bigger picture and intent was God was wanting them to rely on him solely as the source of determining good from evil. But by eating of it, they took it upon themselves to decide what was right and what was wrong. So now that we have this in front of us, but more so like John 1.1 1, 1 says, uh, or John 1.14 and 1.1, 1, 1, the word became flesh, 
this became flesh. And that flesh's name was Yeshua. It was Jesus. By submitting our lives to him, we're going back. We're, we're taking the action that we should and going back before Adam and Eve ate of that tree. And we're putting in God's hands as the source. We're putting in God's hands our ability to decide what's right and what's wrong. So step two, how do I study the word? Step one was that your intent was to apply it to you first. Step two, keep it simple. Don't feel like you got to read or memorize complete chapters in one night in order to deal with a certain circumstance. You read, you do what's before you as the Spirit leads. And progressively, it'll build up and store inside of you. But don't feel like you have to be a scholar overnight. You do have to be a scholar eventually, but not overnight. Step three, relate the word to everything. Everything. If you come into a circumstance, uh, I'm trying to think one, where you, it's, it's getting hard to judge a certain situation. You know, the bracelets would always say, what would Jesus do, right? Well, bottom line, I mean, that's, that's a very, very cool bracelet. But honestly, what we have to do is, what does the word say? Because mm -hmm. what, what Jesus would do would be what the word says to do. He was the word. So if I come up into a, a, an instance where I'm being tempted to lean on my own arm or to lie in order to make a business deal go through, or whatever it may be, in every circumstance, big or small, try to find a way to relate it to something in the Word. Oh, this reminds me of so-and-so that this happened in the Word. This reminds me of, of this particular scripture, this proverb. And we go back to the ones that we just read in 12.1. Another brother of the Lord, another brother or sister in the Lord is trying to tell me something corrective about my actions. And my immediate response is to get angry or to defend myself. But it related to the word, Proverbs 12, 1. He who hates correction is stupid. I don't want to be stupid. All right, last one. Uh, let's go to John 14. I just want to clear something up, clarify something, just to make sure. I wasn't saying earlier that you just have to take it easy and do light reading in the Word. <laughs> just our, our goal, no, no cliff notes, no skimming, no reading the middle margins. The, the desire that's supposed to be in you, that you pray for, and that you stir up inside of you, is an unquenchable fire and desire to consume everything that's in that word. Mm. The thing I was trying to counterbalance was do not beat yourself up or see yourself as less if you can't remember as many scriptures as so-and-so. Because what we're about to read right here in John 14, honestly, when the times that I've needed Jesus to come, from, come through for me the most, when I needed the word to be a part, it hasn't been through my superior intellect that I was able to recall these things been by his spirit that brought them back to my memory. Chapter 14 verse 26. Twenty-five actually. 
All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the thing, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The way that he actually, uh, when I read this one time, man, the Spirit just put an awesome twist on it. Because obviously I wasn't there sitting at Jesus' feet as one of his disciples, learning directly from him. But it kind of twisted around and says, and that will remind you of everything that you have put in front of your face. If I'm doing my part, and I've experienced this, putting the word in front of my face on a daily basis, and not being so consumed with having to memorize it, but just keeping it in front of me, like a fountain of living water at all times, it's amazing what happens that later on, I feel his anointing begin to follow me as I'm talking to somebody about Jesus, or just talking about Jesus, period, with another brother or sister in the Lord. And that fountain that I was washing and living in while I had the word in front of my face will begin to kick up and flow as I'm talking to this other person. And there's been times when I've tried to, you know, rack my own memory and run through my own brain and try to gather everything together, and it just falls to pieces. It's jumbled up, no clear connection of thoughts, can't put the scriptures together, but the times when his anointing is there, it feels as if I'm sitting behind my own mouth and watching myself speak going, I don't know what's coming next. <laughs> but literally, it's as if he's putting his words in my mouth, speaking exactly what needs to be said to that person, that scenario, whatever it may be, at the perfect moment. But that would not be possible if I did not put it in front of my face. Now, that uh, third step of related to everything, it may feel foolish at times. You know, how can brushing my teeth in the morning be just, you know, relating to the word? Trust me, go through Psalms. Psalms 90 through 95, 119. I meditate on your precepts both day and night. I lay in the bed, I get up in the morning. If David had a heart after God, read Psalms. See where his heart was? His heart was continuously swimming in the Torah. Now, take away the majority of the books that are in this Bible. Give me the first five. And then, you know, could I say the same thing? I delight in your precepts. Your word is like honey on my lips. Take numbers and try to do that. <laughs> but it can be. It can be. All right, last one. Psalms 119. I said last one last time, didn't I? See, I, I, since y'all start to fall asleep and drift away, I say last time and everybody perks up. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, this is the last one. I'll pay attention now. Yeah. Psalms 119, um, 105. You know, you can acquire a lot of knowledge in the Word, especially like going back to how do I study the Word. If you find yourself beginning to study and all of a sudden chasing these rabbits, some rabbits are very good to chase, but the, just as um, 
Not, not every single little tangent as you're reading the Bible. And what I mean by that is, what's the Greek uh, cognate for this English word? And what's the cross-reference, you know, 30 times over throughout the, the scriptures to this one verse? That can be beneficial at times. But sometimes it's just beneficial to read what's there. Go through, get the full thought of what the Spirit's trying to say through that scripture, through that chapter and absorb what's there. Now, you guys have been part of worship enough to where you can sense the flow. When, when the Spirit's trying to lead and guide and direct, you know, when we uh, really are peaceable, when we shout, when you expect a word of prophecy coming, when healing needs to occur, you just, you be, as you more in worship, the more you get that same feel. Well, that same tangible feeling that you experience during worship can happen when you read the word. Isolate, block off the time, and test me in this. Put your face in front of this word, and sometimes it, it won't happen immediately, just like in praise and worship. You don't enter in within the first couple of measures of the first song. You put your face in front of that word, and you just read. And you what you're doing, you're preparing your, yourself, you're making yourself uh, available to yield to as his spirit leads you, as you read the word. When I was, was spirit filled, basically when I began to learn how to yield to the spirit's moving and understanding, this word came alive more than ever. And just like I just related, just as I felt his presence in worship, I began to feel it as I read the word. And just as I got direction during worship, I got direction when I read the word. I went to go study faith one time. And as I was reading, I just got this, this feeling. Uh, best thing I can say is, you know, let's say I'm trying to stare this way and there's a blinking light going off this way saying, hey, focus your attention here. So I began to just pause and I just prayed a little bit. And I'm like, why do I feel like I don't need to be studying about faith? Faith is awesome. And this word just kept coming up. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. I went, oh, okay. So I went and studied on righteousness. And within like, two weeks later, uh, as I kind of completed it, I saw how righteousness intertied into faith and, and trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's just a small, small glimpse of when you read the word and when you're led by the spirit in reading the word, that's how you get the little jewels. That's how you get uh, the nuggets that you need to bring you from day to day. When you store it up inside of you, and you, like I said earlier, you begin to build that arsenal. When you have that coworker, when you have that family member that catches you by surprise, you didn't feel by the Spirit you're about to witness to somebody, or that you need to pray for somebody to be sick. But in a typical situation where you go, if you plan it out yourself, you go, I don't know what I would do in this situation. The more the word that you store up inside of you, the more you'll find His Spirit brings it to your memory so that you know what to do in that situation. You know, very simple. What would you do right now if you walked outside of here, went home, and there was a guy laying on the mat, paralyzed, and couldn't walk and says, I need you to help me. I mean, honestly, uh, my rational thinking, oh, well, let's put you in my car, we'll go to the hospital. 
but it's almost like our culture has to section off all of our abilities to make things right. So let's say there was no hospital, there was no doctor, we're out in the desert, right? Then what would you do? Oh, yeah, I remember the occurrence in the Word where Jesus prayed over this guy. He said, pick up your mat and walk. What do you need? You kind of feel your heart shrink a little bit. Ooh, that takes a lot of faith. <laughs> what if I'm wrong? I have to tell him pick up his mat and walk, and he falls on his face and breaks three more bones. <laughs> it's in those kind of situations that y'all, I mean, very well could go home and experience tonight, where you need God's power available at all times. You need to be ready. Be ready to use the word at any moment. Here, here's the flip side. Here's God's side. Hey, I got all these things to do. Who can I use? Who is out there that will let me flow freely through them? Don't obstruct me with your knowledge and your ways of doing things or your lack of ability to trust me. I need to get these things accomplished. Who can I use? Are you being overlooked by God because you're not putting in the time in his word or being sensitive to his spirit to be used? Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much, preserved my life, O Lord, according to your word. Now, I wanted to have some samples and some you know, things to visually uh, help, help you be reminded. But when you have the word, the reason that you're given, given it is not only to show you your path that you go down, but it's to help instruct and help others find their path. The difference between instruction and uh, just yelling at somebody with the word is like taking a flashlight, shining at the ground in front of their feet, and blinding them with it in their face. It doesn't help anybody much if you just take the word, shove it in their face, and blind them with the truth. But when you mix it with love and you do careful instruction, you try and show them the way. If you begin to show them, hey, this is the path I think you need to take. This is the one that leads to life. And they begin to push you away, hey, that's a clear sign. They don't want what you have. But if you begin to be combative and... Uh, the word quarrelsome with somebody you'll begin to feel God's spirit lift it's a whole bunch of you still left in it and you end up shining it directly in our eyes and blinding stay on your feet now do y'all want to be used by God yes do y'all believe y'all can be used by God? Yes. Okay, I was looking for the same volume level on that one. That's pretty close. One can chase a thousand, two? Ten thousand. Every single one of you have the awesome potential to do everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry here. The difference is that you have to be ready and available and willing. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for making us your instruments of righteousness, Jesus. We submit all the members of our body, our mind, will, and emotions, and everything that we are for you, mighty God. 
that you may use us according to your will. Jesus, we pray. We pray you put the opportunities in front of every single person here and those that are members of this church to be conduits of your glory, conduits of your power and your gospel, Jesus. We pray that, Lord, we reach out to the neighborhood behind us, around us, and through this preschool so that we can be your arms, legs, and feet and advance your kingdom, Jesus. We want to take what the devil has, has taken away. We want to store lives, restore families, bring healing, and ultimately bring your kingdom, Jesus. We love you, mighty God, and we thank you for your resurrection power. Amen. Amen. Amen.